0: This ticker podcast is coming to you from the Citadel Securities Trading Post on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange.
1: From anonymous online assaults, to nefarious short reports, to short seller activism from the biggest hedge funds, it seems short attacks are here to stay. When used appropriately, short selling can be good for markets. But many companies have found that some forms of short selling could basically amount to stock price manipulation. Laura Kiernan is founder and CEO of HighTouch IR, a consultancy with special expertise in short interest mitigation.
0: There's just so much, you know, under the surface that, that you don't realize is going on.
1: Laura dropped by the Citadel Securities Post to talk about short tactics and how IROs can track and manage short interest. It's a fairly complex and opaque topic, and I think you'll find plenty to chew on. So, let's dive in. Laura Kernan, welcome to the Ticker Podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: What is short selling?
0: Short selling is an investment strategy that requires um, a so-called investor, as I call it, um, to borrow a security, sell it in the open market, and then they wait for the security to go down, presumably. They pay a rate of interest, and then they buy the stock in the, in the open market, and they return it to the investor that they borrowed the stock from. That is short-selling. It's, it's a bearish sentiment. So someone that is shorting the stock has, you know, fundamentally is expecting the stock price to decline. And so it's considered a bearish strategy.
1: And there are different kinds of short sellers. Some you call predatory and some you call or presumably are um, part of the market. Fundamental.
0: Exactly.
1: You've encountered a few predatory short sellers in your time. How prevalent are they these days?
0: I think it's very prevalent. So when we look at money flow, just at a high level, where is where is active management going? Actively managed investments. Some of it's going to ESG or impact investing. Um, this pool of active managed funds is is getting smaller and smaller. Some of it. Is going to be short thesis strategies. We've seen growth in short thesis strategies um, over the past 10 years, I would say, and there are also, uh, they call them long short hedge funds, so a position, uh, an investor will take a long position and they'll hedge it with a short position, and those are considered to be market-neutral funds. And so there's just a huge amount of shorting that goes on in the market. The other thing is is that where the short lending is coming from is also growing. So the indexes, if you look at Vanguard, Fidelity, BlackRock, as those funds grow, the passive investing, they are trying to generate additional returns by lending shares, which provides liquidity for short sellers, short sellers. So they're also, there's, there's a lot of availability or liquidity for uh, short sellers to, to, to employ their strategies.
1: Another unexpected in, uh, uh, outcome from the rise of passive investors, among yes. the many unexpected income outcomes.
0: Yes, because index funds aren't going to sell They're just going to continue to acquire shares for the most part. So how do they juice their return and lower their costs? They lend shares to short sellers.
1: How do you know if uh, uh, a short seller is in your stock?
0: Well, the easiest way to know if a short seller is in your stock is to look at the twice monthly reported data that comes from FINRA. You can get it on Yahoo Finance, you can get it on Bloomberg, you can get it just about with any data service. Uh, these numbers are published twice monthly. Generally, it's, it's also, there, there are statistics surrounding short interest, which tell you how much short interest you have in your stock relative to the float, to other factors like the trading volume how many days it takes to cover and things like that. And you can, you can look at a, a stock and their short interest and get kind of a risk profile from, from the level of short interest, how many days it takes to cover that short interest.
1: So it's not really rocket science to find out.
0: No, it's not rocket science, but it is very opaque. So the disclosures around short interest are very opaque from an investor standpoint. There are, if you look at, in terms of reporting parity, an investor has to report their long positions. They don't have to report their short positions. So an IRO can look at their shareholder report and come up with, oh, I have 110% of my shares accounted for. How is that even possible? It's possible because you have at least 10% of your shares short and you don't know who those short sellers are so uh it's very opaque from uh, an information parity these databases
1: they won't they won't give you names they'll they'll give you a ultimate number oh no they won't tell you who
0: it's typically very secretive so short sellers generally don't like to be known as short sellers it limits it limits them if you're an investor relations person and you put your ceo in front of a short seller and the CEO knows that you put them in front of a short seller, it's, it's really a waste of the CEO's time in a way. At least in my view, it's a waste of time because you're, you're sort of working against your own self-interest. And short sellers come back and say, well, you should try to convince me otherwise. And I say, no, actually, you have to buy my stock. If you're short my stock, you're stored buying power. This is like powder that can go off. And this is what happens with it when you have a short squeeze. So when you have an imbalance and there's too much short interest in a stock and some event happens to kind of trigger a covering a catalyst that would trigger the covering and there's not enough stock out there for them to buy back in it and it you know in the time period that they need to buy it back and they every time they try to buy the stock back the stock goes up and up and up
1: that's called a short squeeze. that's called
0: a short squeeze and you
1: as the gentle innocent issuer you would like to see that happen
0: i would say it's really satisfying to have a short squeeze in your stock okay. especially when it's for when the, when the short position is derived from nefarious as opposed to fundamental reasons so it's, it's not good to drive a short squeeze when there are fundamental reasons for your stock to be down
1: uh, but if it's nefarious,
0: then it's it's very satisfying to get that out of your stock.
1: Have you ever introduced a, uh, a, a nefarious uh, short seller to a CEO thinking they were a, 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 a wolf in sheep's clothes and uh, pretended to be a, a lawn? Yes. yes,
0: absolutely. I have, and... Uh, in many cases it takes a long time to figure out who, you know, who's good money and who's bad money. So when you first meet with them, you don't necessarily know. That
1: must be mortifying, though, right? When you find out and when you see
0: It's it's mortifying. It's mortifying. It it absolutely is. So you, you never want to put your your executive in a position of vulnerability, especially in a you know, it could be a public format, it could be a private format, whatever it is. You just, you know, I always make sure that I know who that CEO is meeting with before they go into the meeting. And I do as much homework as I can to find out what are the motivations of this person. I listen to the types of questions that they're asking. What
1: types of questions would, would be the tip-off? So,
0: the best way I can tell an IRO to understand this, and really experienced IROs will already know this, Is the questions tend to be negatively slanted? Sometimes they're timing oriented, and they're not long term strategic. Often, so those are the three kind of clues. You know, is there a critical time period in which they need to know when there's a catalyst and when they're, you know, when when do they need to cover their position, or if there is a potential catalyst, how do I get out of my position before? that catalyst happens. Um, so that's a timing sort of thing or they may so they'd have They'd be asking
1: questions about that that event.
0: They'd be asking questions about certain types of events, you know, are you do you think you might be acquired? Do you think, you know, just anything that might help them understand when a potential catalyst could occur? Mm-hmm. Because it's going to be very hard for them to cover their stock if there's a positive catalyst at the same time if there's a negative catalyst they want to be in on that um with negatively slanted questions what i'll say is uh, what they 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 they'll look at your story and they'll pick three three things let's say and they'll take what the company is looking at as a positive and turn it into a negatively oriented question like You're building inventories. Does that mean your sales are collapsing? Something like that. And you say, well, no, actually, we're building inventories because our revenues are growing. But then what you'll see come across all the social media feeds are, you know, inventory growing sale, you know, you know, watch out or something like that.
1: But still, that's kind of you just have to pay attention to their questions unless unless you have. You know, your database, your little black book of of who, who these people are, somebody who's new.
0: That's right. Somebody who's new, it's hard to know. What I recommend is if you have any of the contact management systems, they will give you a profile of the investor. And you can look at the, you can't tell everything by the investor profile, but you can look at the funds that they manage. It'll at a high level tell you, this is a market neutral strategy that's a flag for short, you know, uh, short selling. Um, this is, you know, this company uh, uses derivatives or this company, you know, there's some, or, or, or uses a short strategy, they're short funds. Um, so you can kind of tell sometimes by the background of the investor. There are also certain investors that I won't name, but a lot of IROs know who they are, who have reputations for being notorious short sellers. And so you just try to filter out who you're meeting with and not spend time with those types of investors.
1: Let's move into tactics then. Okay. You've, You've identified a short seller. What can you do about it other than just do good R-, R and tell people that whatever the short seller is saying is wrong and management
0: is right. So short. So the example I gave you about the, the inventory, you can make sure that your investment thesis touches on these key points, that these key hot buttons that short sellers are sort of hanging their hats on. Make sure that you address. Your, your long-term strategic view about, you know, why you're growing inventories or why you're investing in technology or, uh, you know, why you're expanding into new markets. Uh, so that's one way, and that would go under the good IR category. There are other ways you can find out, um, and I can give you some examples by talking about a case study that I have. Uh, so. One company that I worked for, all the, almost all the companies that I've worked for have had short selling issues, but one in particular was just, I would call it, egregious. Um, and I had to do a lot of work to find out who was selling the company short, what their motivations were, you know, why, why, why was this a strategy that you know they were utilizing. Short sellers will go after vulnerable companies. So, if you can address your company's vulnerabilities.
1: What makes a company vulnerable? Uh,
0: a variety of things. Um, one is, you know, if, if a company is newly listed, sometimes they become vulnerable. You've seen some recent IPOs where they come out of the gates very strongly priced, and then the, the price falls off significantly 15 or 20 percent. And, uh, there's no aftermarket support, and so the short seller is sort of waiting for okay, this this major event, which is an IPO, and then they can kind of cram down the stock price after the IPO by just shorting and creating this negative momentum.
1: And, and why would that? Why would be that? Why is that? critical or or vulnerable in an IPO situation just because you haven't you just haven't established relationships yet or
0: well why is a company vulnerable at that time Yeah. so one of the things I recommend is doing a lot of pre-marketing when you're going to do an IPO so that you have aftermarket support so the bankers will support the company during the IPO process but if there's not a proactive IR program in place to sort of, it really is a zero. as soon as the bankers walk out the door, you have to maintain a market in your stock. Your, your stock becomes vulnerable. And a lot of times what happens is the stock will collapse and then they'll say, oh, we need to put in a proactive investor relations strategy. And then they sort of climb back from that. But it would have been maybe a better if the company had started a a really proactive investor relations strategy before the IPO to help support the stock as soon as it priced.
1: You mean there are companies that don't do that in this day and age?
0: Well, I think so. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, there are a whole variety of reasons why stocks collapse after IPOs. I mean, if you look at Uber recently, uh, another company- Shorts are involved
1: with them, with Uber?
0: Well- Short, Most likely, yes. I mean, I can't say for, for certain, but most likely, shorts were involved in that collapse after the, the IPO. It, it was interesting because it was reported that Morgan Stanley had shorted the stock, which was the market maker on that deal. But what they explained is that new offerings often include short, sell, short selling because this is very complex, but basically, when you if they oversell, they have to short sell, and then what ends up happening is, if they oversubscribe, let's say, if they oversubscribe, then they short sell to make up the difference, and then they unwind it after the stock kind of falls off a cliff, and then the stock goes back up. It's, it's, it's a pricing strategy, okay. but apparently, it's part of every banking strategy to include short selling as part of your initial public offering by the banks that list you. Well,
1: that's something to keep in mind.
0: It is I, mean, I guess is that
1: I mean it's sort of good for liquidity in a way, I suppose. but
0: Well, this was news to me and I, I only learned of it after I saw it reported in the press. okay uh, about the Uber IPO. So, and I, I believe Morgan Stanley came out with, you know, statements about you know, why why it's done. And, but I can tell you that companies don't generally know that they're being shorted
1: by their market maker
0: the day of the IPO.
1: So that's that's uh, it falls into the category of not exactly a tactic to combat short sellers, but just something you've got to deal with, right? And expect. <laughs>
0: I mean, it helps to be aware. So I've worked with bankers for 30 years, and there are many times when bankers have come to us and said, I th- we think you should do a convertible debt instrument. We think you should do you know, whatever it is, and, th- and they'll have a very strong case for it, but they won't give you the opposite case, which is why you should do it. And a convertible debt also is something that I do not recommend companies do unless it really makes sense for them, because when you issue convertible debt, there's as part of the hedging strategy on the investor side, they will short your stock. So typically, your short position goes up quite significantly when you do convertible debt. But always question, I would say, you know, bankers are... You know, they're absolutely necessary, and I've dealt with a lot of amazing bankers who are very strategic, um, but always try to figure out what the other side of the deal is. You know, what's in it for them? And, you know, should you really do this? Is it really the right thing for the company? I
1: liked um, your technique uh, that you explained on your podcast about there was a, well, I'll let you tell the story, but there was a short seller in your stock and he was, he was acquiring uh, the stock for for a a pittance.
0: You're right. right. So, one of the companies that I worked for, I, I, by triangulating the shares outstanding, I knew that there, was, there were massive amounts of, let's call it phantom shares. Shares that were not supported by actual uh, borrowed stock. And how is this possible? This is possible when there's a market maker exemption, the banks lend shares with the idea that, that they will be able to provide those shares before settlement or borrow those shares and they lend at a very low rate, let's say 0.3%. But if there are no shares to be lent, the rate should be very high because price is the law of supply and demand. If there's no supply, the price should be very, very high. So I contacted all of the investors with lendable shares And I told them that they should be earning a much higher rate of interest because there is no stock available to be lent. And they contacted the banks that they work for and they got the rate up and the rate in one week went from 0.3 to something like 28%, which then makes it much more expensive to short the stock. So if you have a high conviction short, if you really think for a fundamental reason that this stock is gonna collapse, Maybe you would be willing to pay 28% interest because you think you're going to generate a return of 50%. But if you're not sure or you're just doing it to kind of game the market, it will be too costly for you to maintain that position and you'll unwind it. And so, getting you'll never
1: go back again.
0: Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, And then what ends up happening is when the rate spikes there's a whole group of people that cover which can co- so that can cause a short squeeze in itself but if you can if you can find out how much how many lendable shares are in your in your stock relative to the amount of shares short it will give you a clue as to what the rate the lending rate should be
1: is that how can you do that
0: What's so your your exchange should provide you with The lending rate Um, there are various services also on bloomberg you can you can use s3 or uh, market um, which is out of london i think they just acquired ipo Uh, and they have a, a lot of information on lending rate inventory which they're not willing to give so i did try to get inventory but i was unable to get inventory from that but i triangulated my own inventory um and, and got the rate up.
1: That must have been an interesting call.
0: Oh, Everyone it was an was interesting happy, right? dozens of calls. <laughs> because I had I had first had to figure out what was going on and then I had to call the right people. Well I had that. And, and, they, and they were happy to get your call
1: because they just said a They were made a lot not, of money. yeah. They
0: were not happy to get my I mean well the investors were happy to get my call. Yeah,
1: that yeah.
0: They were thrilled. But The short sellers were not; the banks were not. So, you know, it was easy money for them.
1: Another way is to um, get another—not a short seller, but another prominent investor in your stock—to counter the arguments of uh, of the short seller.
0: Yes. So this this is what happened with Herbalife. This case uh, where. A very vocal, you know I call them activist, short seller, will you know, put research out, go on television, post things on, social media, and so on. and they'll be very effective at sort of spooking investors and getting getting the price down in the stock. What can help? instead of the company fighting that message, because the company is doing everything they can to do good investor relations and so on. Another investor, because now the stock price is at a value price, right? And if you don't believe that story, it's the perfect time to get in. So you'll get another investor that comes in and takes a very large position, or it doesn't even have to be that large, it could be 1%. And then they are also activists, and they're very vocal in terms of the story. And I like God. to, like, sometimes management comes to me to ask me, how can I get this short short interest out of my stock? Like, shouldn't I report this to, you know, the Stock Exchange or FINRA or call my lawyers and sue them or publicly humiliate them, whatever it is? And, and I always say, in my experience, the best way to get short interest out of your stock is... To penalize short sellers economically, and they will naturally get out of your stock because they can only hold this short position that they're losing money on for a certain period of time. So why no-
1: can't you see them? Why don't you see more suing, or do we, or do you see people getting sued?
0: So there are ways for them to cover their tracks, and there are also ways for them to operate legally within the system. So there are loopholes. There are, there, um, some of the loopholes include, you know, these market maker exemptions. Um, And I liken it to kiting. So the banks will lend shares that they don't have. Then they'll take on a derivative position to be able to provide those shares. And it it effectively rolls forward the position repeatedly. That's, that's one way of doing it. Um, That's a loophole. So it's legal. Some of it is legal, it's, it's, it's on the border of what's legal and what's not. The banks can get fined for this. Fines are 25 to $50 million, usually. Um, but the last thing a bank wants is you know, this front page risk of you know this was going on with one of their clients. So as a banking client, you're, the bankers are helping the company execute a certain strategy. And then on the trading desk, they're executing another strategy, which is basically neutralizing the position for them right. um, and disadvantaging the company.
1: But I'm wondering how, again, part my ignorance, but but don't these guys get sued? Don't they go straight to the lawyers? So
0: in terms of suing, uh, a lot of companies have tried suing. Like Overstock is probably one of the most notorious examples of... Uh, CEO's going down that path. I mean, the CEO. What happened there? Well, the CEO really became somewhat obsessive about tracking down who these people were, and talked about it on his conference call. Supposedly, he sleeps with a gun at night. This became a very, very public situation, and it really didn't help their stock at all. And uh, so, and right. so. You can go down the path of suing, you can go down the path of reporting, you can go down all these paths, but what you may find yourself in is $10 million worth of legal costs and no result because they've figured out every way to protect themselves legally from you know having it proven that they've violated the law. Um, and in many cases, they're not violating the law. What they're doing is they're just taking advantage of a vulnerable situation. So the best thing I think a company can do is mitigate those vulnerabilities and make yourself sort of, put yourself on the offensive so that you're not um, spending an inordinate amount of time dealing with nefarious short sellers. I also don't recommend CEOs get involved
1: I, I was going to ask. Some, some decide just to go on TV and go head to head with a short seller.
0: I think you're you're basically amplifying their message for them, right? I I always advise CEOs to that's noise, that's market noise. Just focus on you know meeting with the right investors, which I'm going to put you in yeah, front I'm of. Here. Meet with the right sell side. I'll put you in front Take of. Take your time. Um, Tomorrow tell your story and just perform and in the end that's that's what's going to serve you and your investors best
1: but you still you, you do have to up to a point counter whatever nonsense perhaps the, the short seller is selling you have to
0: so you have to have an opposite argument so going back to the inventory situation make sure your long-term strategy your, your investment thesis talks about why your receivables are this, or why your inventories are that, or why you've invested X in this technology, or, you know, how many years it's gonna take for your drug to get through trials. Um, There are ways to address that in a positive way in your message, as opposed to going down the, the way that I, you know, the way that we started, which is the negative, answering the negative question. Try not to answer the negative question. Answer the positive question and why it's good for your company and your company's strategy.
1: Kind of reframe the argument.
0: Reframe the argument, exactly. To something more positive.
1: What's your sense? How are regulators looking at this stuff? Uh, if if short sellers don't have to tell anybody who they are and you have to do all this sleuthing, I understand in Europe they do. They have to... Uh, um not sure about the details, but they, they do have to
0: That's tell correct. The they do have to report in Europe.
1: Uh, is there any movement here in the United States to
0: Well it's interesting you up? ask. I am a NERI national ambassador for the Washington agenda and one of the topics that I'm very passionate about is disclosure of short positions. So there are there is there are a couple of laws right now, bills, I should say, bills that we hope will become laws. And we I was there last year on the Hill with Neary National in September, and I'm going again this September to help, you know, put forth the case, both with legislation, which is the Senate and the House, as well as the SEC. So we met last year with Commissioner Pence at the SEC and we discussed this topic as well as their um, finance committee. and we also discussed this with um, all, for all states because we had representatives there from all states, members of the House and Senate. So we're hoping there are bills and we have a lobbyist at NERI, and we're hoping to get these bills passed. Which will really so they're getting
1: traction. You're getting an audience there. They're hearing your arguments.
0: Well, they are definitely hearing the arguments. As far as getting the bills passed, it's it's hard to say. Do you
1: have any kind of a timeline? It's vague.
0: I don't know the timeline now. Does
1: that have anything to do with the current administration?
0: I would say, I, I don't know the answer to that question.
1: Okay, me neither.
0: <laughs> um, you know, when we were down there, we met with the Economic Development Committee, out of you know, with the, with, which is headed by the, um, I think, the Senator of Delaware. So Delaware is very involved because, as you know, a lot of states are incorporated in Delaware. And so they're very involved in these types of things. Um, but I do think we're gaining traction because we also have the Nasdaq. It's not just Neri that's pushing these things; it's it's various investor groups, including the Nasdaq and, and you know okay. even NYSE, supporting this additional disclosure. And it's it's called 13D and 13F reform and short sell disclosure
1: when we move into a bear market um are questions like that going to be more on the table i i'm guessing that a bear market would be a better environment for short selling
0: well let me tell you when it became top of mind for congress in 2008 when the banks when citibank went from fifty dollars to four dollars when lehman went to zero When Bank of America acquired Merrill Lynch, when Bear Stearns was acquired, um, that is when it became an issue. So the interesting thing is that the banks were able to effectively lobby during that time to have 88 banks and financial institutions eliminated from this naked shorting loophole. So this market maker exemption that I mentioned to you earlier, Presently, the only companies, the only publicly listed companies that are exempt are financial institutions. So if we are to have another recession... Except, meaning meaning so, exempt from what? So when, when, when a short seller goes to a bank and says, I want to short sell 10 million shares, and they say, well, we've got a million on inventory that we can lend you to sell, we have to locate the other $9 Because of their market maker exemption, as a bulge bracket firm, they are allowed to close that trade and locate the other shares, but sometimes they can't locate the other shares. And in that case, either the trade unwinds or it remains as a naked short. This is what the banks sometimes will get fined for. Because it's illegal to have a naked short. You have to unwind the position. You can't leave it naked.
1: Define naked short. That just means the bank the bank just says, Oh sorry, we're we're not gonna so, give you the, so the, the shares. The
0: client the client will place a trade to short sell. The bank will agree to provide the shares to sell, to lend. Some of them. And those shares never materialize. But they'll run the trade through. And your stock price will go like that. So this is how it's possible to short many more shares than are actually even available to sell. And when you have a very low rate
1: That's what banks do, they make money for nothing. When
0: it's at a very low cost, 0.3%, the bank is effectively lending shares that they don't have, they're not borrowing getting interest and they're charging a very low rate of interest to the short seller and the short seller benefits because they have a low cost short the bank benefits because they're getting the trading volume and the the lending fee and nobody's the wiser because there's no disclosure around it and they can just unwind it or use derivatives to hedge it out which is what happens like every quarter if a company what happens on the day that your proxy, your, your annual date of record, is the one day a year that it all has to be cleaned up, because it has to be a fulsome. If you go back to the Broadbridges and you know all of the you know the DTC, they have to reconcile everything, and if there are massive open positions on bank books, it will set off a red flag. So. One day a year, you can have this cleaned up. What one of the companies I did, I worked for, did was add in additional record dates during the year. So if you add in a quarterly dividend, there's a record date your annual shareholder record date. So then you have five record dates, and then it becomes a little bit more like a hot potato. They, it's like they don't have to clean it up once a year, they have to clean it up five times a year. So there, are, you know, little things like that. So
1: the upshot of that is, everybody knows where the shares are, and the consequence of that is, uh, what you you can identify the short seller
0: or, or You can identify the short seller, but the broker that executed the trade, if they don't, if if, if the broker doesn't have a, a clean book. It will it will show up okay. as a naked short, and
1: they get fined or, or they get.
0: If it's agree if they're if they're doing it consistently or it's egregious, then there are fines. Okay. Fines are usually twenty five to fifty million dollars. It's a slap on the wrist. Not sure if we
1: answered my 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 original question, but so in a bear market.
0: So what's going to happen in the next bear market? If there is a sector that is particularly hurt you know let's just say oil for example if there's massive short selling in oil more than what's available to short the oil companies may rally together and go to congress and the sec and say look what's happening to our stock you know, you need to exclude us from this market maker exemption rule, too. Um, So, the, the, the concept behind the market maker exemption rule is brokers, market makers, have to make a market in your stock. So, they have to have some flexibility in which to operate. And it allows things to be more fluid, right? Price discovery, more fluid. So, it's necessary, but what... The problem comes when there are more nefarious, you know, actors in play. You know, just really taking advantage of a vulnerable situation.
1: You said you said there are vulnerable situations, and and IPOs can be vulnerable situations. And why is it that it's all always the biotech or the pharma companies that get that seem to be in the headlines? What's special about them?
0: So. Biotechs are interesting. I'm only recently starting to work with biotechs, but they are particularly vulnerable. One thing about biotechs is that their cash flows are way off into the future. Oftentimes also they don't have management that have public company experience. And going back to you don't know what you don't know, Sometimes these, public, these newly public company and inv- CEOs, which maybe are you know at the top of their fields in in biotech, they're now dealing with predatory types of investors, and they just they're vulnerable. They get taken advantage of
1: because they're new and, and, and they're biotech well, they're new and
0: and they don't- and. and, and the, they may be meeting with the wrong types of investors that will okay. take advantage of their vulnerability.
1: That's Chris for the mill. What's What else do I, when you talk to IR people, what do they not know about this or, or, or what's what? So let me tell
0: you some things that might help you find out what's going on in your stock. Okay. So one, I mentioned the short interest that's published twice a month. I also recommend going to, to uh, look at the SEC's disclosure, you know, regulations on short sale disclosures. And there's a link there to FINRA's, they don't call it naked shorting, what do they call it? Fails to deliver. So if you go, go to the FINRA fails to deliver file and do a search on your ticker and download the data over a period of time, And you will get a sense of how often your stock is failing to deliver. And if it's a very high level, that should raise some concern. Because what's happening is is the shares aren't available to lend, but somebody's still trying to constantly short it, which means your stock price is going down every time they're doing that and maybe the sh- the trade is getting unwound but the price action is not getting put back right so your stock goes down the day of the trade then it un- then it gets canceled 2 days later because it can't settle but they don't put the price back up right so they can just it's like they you go you fall down this hill and you can't catch yourself so if you're constantly appearing on that list you need to start talking to some people. I need to talk to people? I t- talk to people. I would talk to uh, your exchange, which can help you. And they have, you know, a, a lot of advice about how to handle these things. So I would talk to your exchange. Um, but the, the, can they help you
1: identify who these people are?
0: They Well, the exchange can give you information on the lending rate for your short Lending, they can give you various data points and they can kind of point you in certain directions to help you, but they can't solve the problem for you. But you have to draw on a variety of sources to help you. Uh, so I would look at the lending rate, the fails to deliver, the short interest, follow it over time, and see if you have an issue with your stock. And then then you have to also look at your story, make sure that your story is as good as it can possibly be, that you're meeting with the right types of investors from a targeting standpoint. And that's essentially it. You can, If you have a really egregious situation, uh, like a Tesla, for example, there are additional datas, data that you can buy.
1: What happened in Tesla?
0: So Tesla, Tesla, wow, that's, that's a long story, but essentially... Tesla's CEO and founder uh, made public statements that uh, weren't supported were factually incorrect right and uh, so the, the, the shorts really glommed on to that but you could you, you could only short as much as inventory is, is available. You can't you can't go into this infinite loop of shorting. Which is sometimes what happens, and, and the only way to stop that infinite loop of this constant shorting uh, is to start to go after who is behind these nefarious shorts. So there may have been fundamental reasons which then you know, spiraled into more, you know... But it sounds like these
1: shorts in this case, they weren't that nefarious. They were, they were reacting to to reality. No,
0: you're right. They weren't that nefarious, but and I don't know the, the if there was naked shorting going on with Tesla. But I think it would have been good for them to find out if there was and then that would have been a bank situation. So that's that can go back to the market market maker exemption rule. And it's not nefarious on behalf of the banks, but it's maybe taking advantage of a vulnerable situation.
1: Laura Kiernan, thanks for joining us on the ticker.
0: It was my pleasure. Thank you for having
1: me. That's your ticker podcast for this week. You can learn even more about how to prepare for and defend against a short attack by checking out Laura Kiernan's own podcast, It's called Raising Billions. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeff Cassett.
0: Citadel Securities is a member of FINRA
1: and SIPC. The content of this podcast does not necessarily
0: reflect the views of Citadel Securities.